WNYC Studios is supported by the Natural Resources Defense Council. Using science, the law, and people power, NRDC is committed to confronting the climate crisis, protecting public health, and safeguarding nature. They address the impact of fossil fuels on communities and our environment. They help protect wildlife, public lands, and irreplaceable ecosystems that all living things depend on. They work to enact policies for clean air, clean water, and access to nature for all. You can help NRDC safeguard the earth for future generations. Visit nrdc.org WNYC for more information. Science Friday is supported by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Science Friday is supported by Random House, publisher of When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi a memoir from a doctor-turned-patient about the fragile beauty of our mortal lives. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is available at prh.com air. What do ketchup, yogurt, and quicksand all have in common? They're non-Newtonian fluids, or oobleck. Non-Newtonian fluid really is a fascinating material that can adapt and dramatically change its behavior all by itself, depending on how it is forced to flow. It's Wednesday, December 20th, but just like every day, today is Science Friday. I'm Sci-Fi producer Kathleen Davis. We're used to a certain level of consistency in life. If I reach for the orange juice day after day, I assume it's going to be the same liquidy goodness each time. There's a class of materials that don't operate this way. They may fool you into thinking they're a liquid, but with a little pressure, they move into solid territory. We'll talk about the science of oobleck in just a bit, but first, how cocoa bean husks could get a new life as a renewable resource. On cocoa farms around the world, husks are stripped off cocoa beans leaving 20 million tons of plant waste to biodegrade. These husks are a source of lignin, the substance that gives plants their rigidity. A new study published in ACS Sustainable Chemistry and Engineering says that lignin from the leftover cocoa bean husks could be an alternative for lots of different fossil fuel-based products like plastics and flame retardants. Joining me to talk about this is my guest, Dr. Rigoberto Advincula, material scientist with the Oak Ridge National Laboratory and the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Welcome to Science Friday. Well, thank you so much, Ira. I'm happy to be with your show. Thank you. Uh, let's talk about lignin. What what do we currently use it for? Well, uh, lignin is actually a byproduct of the pulp industry. Uh, it's well known in the uh, biosciences that you need lignin to hold the cellulose and basically give the rigidity in plants. Uh, but right now, uh, a lot of it is thrown away. Huh. And so we want to uh, save it from the cocoa husks. 
Yes. So uh, like any other agro industry, they uh, have a lot of biomass uh, that includes lignin and cellulose. And uh, they've been finding that there are many uses for lignin for a variety of things, including plastics, flame retardants, adhesives, uh, and so on. Give us an idea on how you extract it from the cocoa husks and other plants. So basically, lignin binds the cellulose, hemicellulose, derived from a big unit called fibril. And you have to do some chemical treatment, dissolution with a solvent. And when you do that, you fractionate them basically into the cellulose and the uh, lignin, which in, in our language basically is a mess. Uh, lignin <laughs> is a very uh, heterogeneous molecule or biomolecule. But when you process it or pyrolyze it properly, you get all sorts of very useful stuff that, for example, uh, can be used for making further complex and very useful chemicals. You said it was it was a mess. What what are the challenges of biorefining these materials? How do you get high quality lignin? Yes. So lignin is a class of what we call heterogeneous phenolics or alcohols. They are highly branched, and depending on the plant source, they can be very different in terms of the aromatic content and the amount of uh, phenolic content. So one has to carefully understand the heterogeneity or the uh, variance of chemical intermediates you can extract from these various plant sources. So for example, with cocoa and coconut and uh, wood, they have different fractions, which has to be separated in order to use them for a variety of chemical uh, intermediates. Mm -hmm. And you already mentioned the, the possibility of using them for plastic, flame retardants. Are there any other kinds of sustainable materials that might show up? Yes. So uh, cellulose, obviously, uh, is a type of polysaccharide, you know, the same as the class of starch that we eat, but cellulose is the stuff that, that is not easily digested. They've been finding many uses for cellulose beyond the paper industry, including nanomaterials, including different types of uh, uh, bio-derived plastic. On the other hand, the lignin uh, is actually a rich source of uh, chemical intermediates when derivatized, for example, with phosphonate groups or lots of nitrogen. That's what makes it very useful, for example, in flame retardant applications. So depending on the type of biomass, basically you have to classify the type of lignin chemistry you can derive and therefore the uh, biorefining, solvolysis, pyrolysis. These are all steps that are done in order to make them more useful. Mm -hmm. Now, we've heard about bioplastics, but bioplastics are still plastic, right? Does, does extracting lignin from cocoa husks solve this problem? So uh, the cellulose actually has been around uh, for a long, long time. It's the, basically your natural polymer, natural polymer, natural plastic, and uh, therefore biodegradable in many cases. Polylactic acid, which is derived from other uh, plant or even bacterial sources is actually a biodegradable plastic that is useful for packaging these days. Uh, lignin, on the other hand, is a different kind of plastic. Uh, because of the phenolic 
and alcohol groups present, uh, one has to do some type of uh, condensation polymerization to convert them into what we call thermosets. So when we say thermoset, these are plastics that are not easily molded and reformed with temperature. A good example of a thermoset is epoxy. And epoxy has many uses, for example, in the uh, fiber composite industry. So in this case, lignin really is a rich, rich playground to uh, do more chemistry to derive different types of plastics and materials. Is there a business then that needs to be set up to extract and you reuse all these husks that are lying around? Yes, good question. So a lot of the value uh, depends really on the uh, use of catalysts and the uh, lower energy, meaning uh, less cost to convert them into something useful. So, for example, uh, many companies, normally they will just consider this as waste. But then the new chemistries that are being developed, even with some startup companies, uh, they've been finding ways to efficiently extract the useful intermediate and therefore get more value out of it. So a good example is the uh, uh, lignin can be uh, derived into what we call monolignins, essentially very small molecules derived from lignin. Uh, these are closer to uh, other types of aromatic intermediates that we use for uh, solvents, uh, for use in shampoo or plasticizers, uh, for different types of uh, uh, chemical intermediates to make more complex molecules. So the more uh, they can be purified into mon monolignins, the more they become useful as replacements for fossil-derived chemical intermediates. Fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, good to hear about this, and I hope we get to see some products made from the husks soon. Yes. Yeah. Exciting, because that means you can take any waste, biomass waste, and derive value out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we'd like to do. Thank you, Dr. Rigoberto Advincula, material scientist with the Oak Ridge National Laboratory and the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Thank you. My pleasure. WNYC Studios is supported by the Natural Resources Defense Council. Using science, the law, and people power, NRDC is committed to confronting the climate crisis, protecting public health, and safeguarding nature. They address the impact of fossil fuels on communities and our environment. They help protect wildlife, public lands, and irreplaceable ecosystems that all living things depend on. They work to enact policies for clean air, clean water, and access to nature for all. You can help NRDC safeguard the earth for future generations. Visit nrdc.org WNYC for more information. Carnegie Hall has welcomed a dizzying array of performers. To have Andy Kaufman, Frank Zappa, and Birkett Nielsen and Horowitz on the same stage, it becomes this kaleidoscope of our history. I'm Jessica Bosk. Join me for the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk. It's all about our unique cultural history, as witnessed by one of New York's most beloved institutions, Carnegie Hall. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Sure. You may be familiar with a common science demonstration done in classrooms. Here it is. If you mix cornstarch and water in the right proportions, you wind up with a material that seems to defy the rules of physics. It flows and settles like a liquid, 
like you would expect it to, but when you try to pick it up quickly or stir it, it stiffens up. The same thing happens with silly putty, quicksand, and paint. This type of material is called a non-Newtonian fluid. It also has a more fun name, oobleck. And for a long time, it's been hard to prove why exactly this material acts like this. But now scientists have a better understanding of the underlying mechanism, and this understanding could help us create new, smart materials. Joining me to talk about this is my guest, Dr. Heinrich Jaeger, professor of physics at the James Frank Institute at the University of Chicago. This study was done in collaboration with the James Frank Institute and the Pritzker School. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ira. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you. You know, I have done this many times. I love creating quicksand with cornstarch and water. And if you put your hand in it, and if you lift it up slowly, you can easily remove your hand. But if you, you try to jerk it up quickly, the cornstarch water becomes like a solid. Please explain what exactly is going on here. What is a non-Newtonian fluid? Yes. So a uh, non-Newtonian fluid really is a fascinating material that can adapt and dramatically change its behavior all by itself, depending on how it is forced to flow. And what I want to do to explain that is contrast that with what we would call a Newtonian fluid. Typically, that's a pure liquid like water. And how easily it flows depends on its uh, resistance, its viscosity, which is simply a material's property. So it does not depend on how you handle it. Imagine you move your mm -hmm. hand through water, it puts up some resistance to flow, and that is this viscosity. But a non-Newtonian fluid now can adapt its viscosity smartly. It can flow more easily, for example, when, when we push it, or it can dramatically resist flow when we push it. And these are two extreme cases of non-Newtonian fluids that we call either shear thinning or shear thickening. Well, can you explain that exactly? What's going on in the particles inside that dish where my hand is? Yes. So the, the, the prototypical non-Newtonian fluid is a dispersion or suspension of small particles in a liquid, right? And you might think that the, the liquid lubricates these particles as they flow past each other. Right. Exactly. But And that can happen, right? And in particular, this can happen for so-called shear thinning fluids, but there's also the case, particularly when you add a lot of particles, where they get pushed together to a point that actually the liquid between them is expelled and they get into direct contact. And now they interact by friction, and that can dramatically increase the resistance to flow. In fact, it can even solidify. Yeah, yeah, now I get it. That was good. Uh, can, do you find these kinds of non-Newtonians in nature, or are, are they all man-made? No, they, they in fact, uh, they exist in nature. So I, I, I told you that typically pure liquids are Newtonian, so they don't display that, that behavior. But when uh, particulate matter is added, then this non-Newtonian behavior emerges. And an example is blood. Blood. Uh, blood, for example, is shear thinning. It flows more easily if it's forced harder. Then there's paint. Paint also often is formulated by, by putting additives in there such that it will flow more easily when you brush it. That's what you want 
to get it off the brush onto the wall. But then when it's on the wall, you don't want it to keep flowing. You want it to, to resist flow. And uh, that's exactly a, a shear thinning behavior, right? So the opposite of up oblique. <laughs> yeah. This is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Why has it taken so long to understand how these oobleks work? In, in part, you know, these shear thickening oobleck type non-Newtonian fluids, they're, they're rarer. And, and they are so utterly counterintuitive. Just imagine any material, I force it, I push it, I would imagine it should get weaker. Oobleck is now doing exactly the opposite. It becomes stronger. It, it potentially even solidifies, right? Right. And it does that even reversibly. It goes back and forth. If I if I take the, the forcing off, if I don't push it, it just reverses back to a liquid. And this counterintuitive uh, behavior is is complex. It has been hard to understand. And maybe historically, that had also to do with the fact that two very different communities were looking at that. Initially, it was the rheology community. And I think they started basically from the idea I take pure liquid, like water, and I add particles, a few, and see what might happen, right? Right. Did you know that the person who uh, was one of the first to calculate what would happen if you would put a few particles in a liquid and how its viscosity would change was no other than Albert Einstein? Really? That was his, it's, it's, it's a part of his PhD thesis, in fact. Wow, that that's something I I'm sure a lot of us didn't know, <laughs> but we like to know that now. You suggest that now that we better understand how non-Newtonian fluids work, that they could be used to make new materials. Well, what kinds of materials are you thinking of? Well, so we are very much interested in making materials, formulating materials that all by themselves, if you want, autonomously adapt to changes in conditions, right? You don't need a computer to tell the material what to do, no feedback. So, you know, if you want an oobleck-like material, you want one that becomes more resistive to flow. And uh, that could be useful, for example, for impact mitigation. Think of wearable garments impregnated by fluids like that that would take up impact, that would help you maybe... Uh, protecting against sport injuries, uh, injuries at the workplace, uh, you know, prevent uh, you from hurting yourself when you fall. There are other applications that that have been proposed. One that I like in particular is speed bumps. Speed bumps. Oh yeah, now I see it. It's a lot. It's like lying squishy flat when it's not being touched, but then you hit it in the car, and now it's suddenly a speed bump. Exactly. So the idea with, with this non-Newtonian shear thickening fluid is that the harder you force it, the more resistive it gets, right? So a car rolling over one of those at low speed uh, would essentially just push the, the fluid aside and, and roll right over or through it. And if you go at faster speeds, the bump would get solid and, and uh, you would notice that is cool. I like that. Uh, so you say it could be used in clothing. What other kinds of uses? Let's say in clothing, you know, stab resistant because it would harden up. What what other uses possibly if wearable stuff? Well, I should explain maybe a little bit more. Uh, of course, there are many ways of protecting yourself against impact, let's say during sports, right? But typically, this implies 
a garment or a part of a garment that is relatively rigid. And that could also then uh, prevent you prevent you in terms of mobility. And what would be really nice is a uh, protective system that is very much not affecting your mobility when, when nothing happens, but then suddenly hardens up the moment there's an actual impact. And that's exactly what such a non-Newtonian fluid could do. So we would combine the fluid with another fabric, obviously, uh, in, into a, a, a protective system. That's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Heinrich Jaeger, professor of physics at the James Frank Institute at the University of Chicago. This study was done in collaboration with the James Frank Institute and the Pritzker School. Thank you, Ira. Thanks for having me. And that's all the time that we have for now. A lot of folks helped make the show happen, including Annie Nero, Emma Gomez, Charles Bergquist, Danielle Johnson, and many more. Next time, how one author is working to make romance novels a bit more scientific. But for now, I'm sci-fi producer Kathleen Davis. Thanks for listening.